Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Um, we're going to start off the meeting with uh, public comment. Can I take roll? So, I'm sorry, what? Can I take roll call? Oh, sure. Thank you. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Chapman. Here. Trustee Esteen is not here, and Trustee Jensen is not here yet, but we do have a quorum. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Trustee Jensen will be in shortly. She's uh, riding her bicycle to the <laughs> meeting, and so she's running a little bit late. All right. So, um, do we have any public uh, comments today? Nobody has contacted me for it. Okay. All righty. Uh, can I have a motion to approve the minutes? Uh -huh. There's a second. Second. All right. All those in favor, say aye. Oh, sorry about that. Go ahead, uh, Rona. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. topic uh, it's um it's an informational discussion and lorna and her team are going to go through the hr dashboard and organizational learning and effectiveness so lorna will do so um robin or lynn do you want to go ahead and project your screen yes just one moment can you see my screen okay Yes. So thank you. I'm going to just go ahead and we're going to launch right into this and Lynn is going to kick us off. Okay. Thank you, Lorna. Uh, we're going to be presenting the uh, metrics uh, on the dashboard and Robin is going to kick us off with the recruitment metrics. Go ahead, Robin. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Robin Hodge, Director of Talent Management. So over this past quarter, Three. Um, our time to fill metrics were 68.46 days to fill. And as you know, our target goal is around 51 days. Our time to fill was a bit higher this quarter and um, above our benchmark. A couple of reasons for this. One is that a number of long standing positions are being filled. Um, as you may know, the recruitment team went through a rapid improvement um, in December. And as part of that, we uh, diligently following up on um, aging requisitions. And so we have seen a success in filling some of our longer term uh, positions, um, which has driven up our time to fill data. In addition, our time to onboard, it's better than the previous quarter. So it went down to 35.48 days. A couple of factors that are leading to um, our continued lengthy onboarding process right now. Um, the two things that are most prominent, one is COVID. Um, so some of the folks that we're onboarding don't have full COVID vaccination. And so that, that process is delaying a little bit in those cases. 
And additionally, there is a shortage of drug screen tests across the nation. It is not unique to Alameda Health System. Um, and so those uh, that the availability of testing is driving some delays with our back, um, our onboarding process, excuse me. And in this quarter, we filled 367 requisitions overall. Uh, so, so far this fiscal, our busiest. I just wanted to show you um, just on a time scale uh, over the last um, six months or so, um, our time to fill metrics. Uh, as you can see in February, our data did um, increase a little bit. Just to clarify what these um, color schemes are here, this green bar, um, which has the, the largest jump here, is uh, only our executive and physician recruitment efforts. We have teased out that data for our, our team's knowledge and our organization's knowledge as some of those positions do take a, a bit longer overall to fill than uh, many of our frontline roles. The blue line, which is kind of masked here at the beginning, but sort of comes out here, is um, our time to fill when we remove the executive and physician recruitment. So again, we split those two metrics out for your um, review. And then the bar here is uh, the combined time to fill uh, factoring in uh, all executive physician and non-executive and physician recruitment. Um, next up is a look at our um, applicants, new hires, and current employees in terms of representation of uh, residents of Alameda County. And so as you can see here, um, from an external applicant perspective, 51% of our applicants uh, this quarter were residents of Alameda County. Uh, so a similar percentage as we saw last quarter. 53% of our new hires are residents of Alameda County and our current employees continue to make up about 61% representatives from Alameda County. With that, I will pass it over to Lynn to review the worker compensation. Okay. Are there any questions on the recruitment metrics? Okay. Very good. On the workers' compensation loss days, uh, it did tick up to 3.22 average days per FTE. And the primary reason for that was due to a decrease of product productive hours. And the metric of injury frequency rate is under review to replace the lost work days metric. Under the number of workers' compensation injuries, uh, as you see here in the uh, third quarter of uh, fiscal year 22, it has decreased from 72 from the previous quarter to 68. Uh, part of that was due to a surge though overall of the COVID-related uh, variant Omicron, uh, which uh, increased our numbers here. Next slide. And here is my most favorite slide of all, and I'm sure yours as well, is the turnover uh, dashboard. So uh, I just want to remind everyone that this excludes contractors, BOT members, residents, interns, and temporary staff. So if you look at the comparison between uh, the second quarter uh, and the third quarter, our um, uh, turnover rate has decreased, which is a good trend. Uh, just want to remind uh, folks that based on our last meeting, we did initiate uh, two strategies in December to try to mitigate uh, the high turnover rate for the organization. One was to uh, have each department um, 
create their own welcoming approach to new hires and also transferees, and also to um, initiate a buddy system for new hires to help them navigate through uh, their department and, and get to uh, really um, assimilate into the organization and how we do things here at AHS. So this is good news. Um, if you look at our uh, nursing turnover, it also has decreased. When you look at the, uh, uh, the second quarter uh, compared to the third quarter, um, so I'm, I'm hopeful, although we still have a lot of work to do. On a national average, uh, looking at the advisory board uh, takeaways and another report that was issued just recently uh, for 2021, uh, the national average is hovering anywhere between uh, 25.9 and 20% of a turnover rate. And it depends on the metrics that are used. Some of these surveys are including only full and part-time employees. Others are including all employees uh, in their uh, calculations. So they are predicting that uh, this is going to continue. We have the great resignation uh, that is still uh, with us, unfortunately. Um, and I think that uh, looking at the exit interview uh, uh, data, which is the next slide, Thank you. Uh, so here are the top 10 reasons why people are leaving uh, Alameda Health System. Uh, the first is shift in schedule, uh, then it's employee initiated, no reason really given. Uh, retirement is one of the, uh, the second leading reasons why people are leave, leaving Alameda Health System. The first is just general resignations. Uh, and the third reason that they're, they are leaving is for non-compliance. Well, non um, so as you look at this particular schematic, uh, organizational culture, non-work-related health, professional development, um, you know, other job-related reasons, base pay, contract work internship, which are ending, and then health and family, uh, probably medical reasons or other reasons associated with that. So from uh, 2021 uh, year to date, uh, this is based on 1,163 termination and our exit interview responses were 476 or 41 response rate. Do you have any questions? On the Sorry, I can't see anybody. Was that somebody that wanted to speak? Trustee Jensen. Hi, yeah, my question is regarding the, um, the eight, um, I think it was, I can't remember the term that was used. I, I think it was disciplinary. Oh, non-compliance? It was non-compliance. Is non-compliance discipline? Um, I think non-compliance means when a person is not compliance, we go, take through the Scully review. Uh, we had a number of uh, employees. We tried to uh, work with the unions as well in regards to the uh, vaccination uh, issue and the booster shots uh, last year. So this is why I think uh, we have the non-compliance numbers and also the, um, the annual uh, compliance requirements. Uh, that we did in at the end of 2021. 
So those are viewed as, I would say, induced terminations, unless Lorna has a different definition of that. We count them as voluntary, but you're right. They, I mean, they're not, they really don't have a choice, but we have included them in the voluntary category, or at least we have in the past. That's correct. I had a question. Um, for the exit interviews, do you have any kind of granular data? I was wondering, like, what when people 6% say it's organizational culture, what, what, what are some of the reasons, like, what, what, what comes under that? Um, you know, in order to get granular, we would have to look at the raw commentary data um, to look at that. Otherwise, these are categorized uh, as, as, you know, subsets of these questions that are asked. Yeah, I understand. Were there any red flags that you saw during um, these interviews? You know, in some of the raw data that I have seen, Trusty Blue, I think it boils down to, aside from the shift schedule, which we really can't uh, mitigate, uh, you know, 80% of the uh, population is unionized. And so, you know, those are collective bargaining agreements that structure that. Uh, but I think when it comes to uh, management and how they are treating their employees, uh, I have seen some commentary, which um, you, you have to take it on as face value. Uh, and that's why I think that, um, you know, uh, firing up the Leadership Academy again and having managers uh, really do a welcome mat for employees and do that socialization piece is pretty um, important at this stage. Uh, also, uh, on our next slide, we'll be talking about the um, business intelligence uh, turnover report and diversity report, uh, that's really going to help, I think, leadership uh, really take a deeper dive into a particular department that might have high turnover. And we can really look at the reasons why uh, people are leaving and then put in interventional strategies uh, to mitigate that and educate people. Can I mention something? <laughs> yes. Um, this is Karen Hillman. Um, when there is a red flag that comes up in the exit interview process, uh, there's two categories. Um, one is uh, an email is generated and sent to the compliance department um, uh, at AHS for them to put into their lighthouse system and investigate it. Mm -hmm. The other is more um, just customer service concern. And that automatically goes to our HR business partner. And that would be some like somebody will mention that they were being bullied um, or that employees, you know, are, are, are each other, not physically, but that the environment is, is, is tough within the, the, their department. And so those go directly to our HR team to conduct an investigation. Right. Thank you, Karen, uh, for yeah. reminding me of that. Does that answer your question, uh, Trustee Blue? Yes, thanks. And the okay. stats that you show here on this chart, it's for the total workforce, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yes. Remember, this is voluntary. Uh, people can opt out and not take the exit interview if they so uh, wish to not participate. But I think 41 response rate is not a, a bad uh, rate to have. It, it's a good indicator. And I also looked at... Um, you know, we have uh, such a uh, 
The second reason being retirement, uh, looking at our stats, you know, people who are age 60 to 69 within the organization uh, totals up to about 702 employees uh, out of our population currently. Uh, and 70 plus, we have a population of 96 employees. So that comes out to about 798, which is about 15% of our employee population. Now there's a new trend coming uh, where you know people are opting not to retire or um, prolonging uh, their retirement plans for a variety of reasons. So I just want to note that. Anybody okay. else have any questions before we move on? Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. So uh, here's our HR uh, dashboard diversity. Um, and again, uh, you all have access to this. Uh, it's a really good tool to look at our landscape. Um, it has, you know, you can enter the date that you want to look at as in this uh, particular example, um, as of uh, March 11, 2022, uh, you can look at it by gender. So female 71% comprises of our employee population and about, sorry, got to look at it closely here, about 26% uh, are a male and then it can break it down by gender. Uh, and you can look at uh, the different ethnicity groups. You can look at the location and department. So I just want to remind people that, you know, you have access to this diversity dashboard. If you have any questions at all, please contact uh, myself and uh, I can walk you through it or answer any questions that you may have. And I, I wanted to mention as well that this is pretty well received. Um, since we put this out at the end of last year, uh, we have about 15,000 hits on this uh, dashboard. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, it's a very good tool to use. Oh, uh, this is a bouquet. Uh, I'll say I've been to this dashboard and I'll encourage trustees. You can slice and dice this thing a million different yes. ways. And I went down a rabbit hole one afternoon and spent like about two hours. It's really, it's really, it's really a great engine. I asked all the trustees to consider. You can ask what percentage of our executives are male, female, what percentage of our, at, at any level. So I think it's a really great tool. So uh, applause to you guys, because I know this was not easy to build. Uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't easy to build. And it's also part of our Leadership Academy uh, toolkit. Uh, we want people, we want to connect it with the uh, implicit bias training and really have managers look at their own landscape. So it's really an educational tool. Yeah, great tool. Thank you. That's really awesome to hear. I, I appreciate hearing that from you. Question one, um, uh, is, this, is this an iterative tool? Because it's a fantastic, I mean, I'm just looking at the yes. level of data and that will there be like a more gender expansive element to it too? Right now we have male, female only. Is that something that you might want to build later? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the rest of the question. You wanted us to add- like, um, Gender identity, would you have a more gender expansive uh, element yes. to measure in, the, in, in uh, later iterations as well? Yes, I, you know, we have talked about like adding non-binary uh, to uh, the, um, uh, to allow employees to self-identify uh, and probably we will not launch that until the next reiteration 
of the diversity dashboard uh, for 2023. Thank you. You're welcome. And I see uh, Ms. Chapman, she has her hand up. Yes, hi, good evening. Good so evening. I see the um, tools by gender and I'm looking at 60 to 69 and I see 201 male. I don't see a, the females there. So do we oh, have any? Yes, this is just a snapshot we did and it cut it off. Oh, okay. And so the, the female one, I have it right here. It was 203 males and 499 females. Okay, thank you. And then for the 70 plus group, it's 64 females and 32 males. Okay, thank okay. you. How do, we, how do we access this again? Is Pardon that, me? How do we access the dashboard? Trustee Esteem's question was, how can trustees uh, access this dashboard? The dashboard's on the HR, uh, it's on the intranet site. And under the intranet site, there's a section that says divisions. And if you go to a human resources, um, uh, sort of a radio button in the center that says HR dashboards, and this is available there. And um, any additional um, dashboard launch will go there as well. But so this is the one that's there right now. Too. Most trustees do not have access to the internet. So I guess here's my question. I had access to this because an email link was sent to me in my email, but, okay. but I launched it from within the system. Can, what if they launched off an email link from their device or from home? Would they still have access to the BI paperwork or it has to be within the system? I don't know, Karen, can you, you answer that? So trustees, unfortunately, you would have to VPN, which is its own little issue for all our trustees to be able oh, to see this okay. because you can't launch the BI dashboard out except unless you're within the system. Is that correct? That's Council? That, I think so. Okay, so that, that, that is a problem and uh, we already have enough tech issues with our trustees, but I'll put that on my radar of helping because this is, it's a super cool tool and uh -huh. we, we need to help our trustees have access to it. Okay, I think we can work with IT on that, hopefully, and resolve that issue. I didn't know that there was a barrier. Sorry for that. But we'll, we'll uh, note that. Yes, ma'am, it's not your barrier, so don't apologize for it. <laughs> okay, all right. I feel bad when you can't get to the information that we're presenting here, and it's available to everyone, so. I think my trustees shake their fist at their devices. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, next slide, please. We're really super excited about this uh, business intelligence report on turnover. We work really hard. We try to make, make it have the same kind of look and feel as the diversity dashboard. And we haven't released it yet, but we plan to do that in the latter part of April uh, to managers and above. But here you can see uh, that in the upper left-hand corner, we can do the dates, uh, the system-wide terminations. You can see uh, like this is for 2021 where we had 930 new hires and the total terms were 848. It's almost like a revolving door. Uh, and the first year term was 308, second year term 141. Uh, this tracks with the national trends that we're seeing, and also for three years and above. Uh, actually, it's, it's statistically, it's like from three to five years, we're seeing people leave the um, uh, organization. So that was 399. 
So if you look at the headcount here, 848, that's a term, and you might, might not be able to see it. I don't know if you can do this for me, Robin, but in that particular dialogue box, you can see the, the total um, number of employees, which is 4,919. <laughs> yeah, 4,919. Yes. Yes, yeah. thank you. And then the turnover rate for the year uh, is 17.24%. So that includes all of the employees with the exceptions of the ones that I had cited that we're not counting uh, in the uh, employee count. Uh, in the next uh, first and second year term uh, by year and month, uh, we have the number of term employees uh, in blue, and then the number of new hires. And you can see that graph there. And then below that, uh, you can slice this data in a different way uh, by looking at the year and month and the actual location. So it's location, SBU description, department, and can even drill down by union code. Uh, with that, um, uh, Ms. Jensen, you have your hand up. Um, thank you. I uh, I can see the total term and the new hire. So I, I'm just, can you just clarify? The total term, the blue box, is all of the first, second, and third years and above? No, the... No, that's system-wide terminations in that um, in the in the main box. Right. So the total termination first after first, second, and third year, that equals 848. Yes. 848. New hire. So is it 848 out of 930s were terminated or or 930 in additional to the 848 were um, hired and not Terminated. So we in 2021, we termed 848 employees and we also hired 930 employees. Oh, I see. Okay. So it was almost like a revolving door for every person that left. We, we hired right behind them. It's right. not the same people, right? It isn't necessarily the same. Right. No, I, I understand. And my other question is, um, who are the employees in Alabama and Colorado? <laughs> uh, those are employees. We have a small percentage uh, of employees, uh, mostly working in the uh, informational uh, system sector uh, where they are doing remote work. Oh. And, there, and the reason for this is, yeah, but let me explain. Uh, the reason for this is it's very difficult to hire in the IT sector right now. <laughs> Uh, there is a uh, growing uh, demand by the candidates uh, that they want remote work. And during the COVID pan pandemic, there was a mass exodus of informational technology uh, personnel that just left the state or went elsewhere. And because of this, uh, we went through the, the right uh, cadence. We uh, went through uh, our own recruitment efforts, and Robin can speak to that. We also went through an external uh, search firm that uh, was able to identify about a thousand employees to fit these needs here for our uh, department. And unfortunately, when it got down to a thousand, when it got down to three candidates, 
two decided, no, we don't want anything to do with this because you're asking us to come in at some point in time. It's not full remote, so remote work. So they rejected that. They had one candidate who was on the fence and withdrew. So that's why we kind of made a switch over to uh, decrease our, our contracted um, uh, personnel, if you will, and hire uh, out-of-state remote workers. Did I miss anything, Robin? I just think the number is really quite small. Some of these folks have been working for us for some time um, who are in, in these states. And so it's, it's not a large volume of remote workers that we have outside of this. And these would be people who are the help desk or, um, I mean, they can access VPN and do the IT work from wherever they happen to be. Yeah, uh, yes, it would be, I'm sorry. Go ahead, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, yes, it, it's um, IT, you know, professionals, um, mostly in the Epic, um, supporting Epic um, mm -hmm. platform. Thank you. Right. Mm -hmm. And my stump for, for what this HR team has done is they've created even such small subcategories. So if you were in this engine live, you could click that button and find out it's four people. So, I mean, again, I'm going to applaud the HR team. I mean, it's so detailed <laughs> that you can really just carve out anything. You can carve out males 20 to 30 who work from Alabama. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's kind well, of cool. You could do that. We can't do that. <laughs> right. Uh, and one thing I will say about the remote work, that this is not an easy lift. Uh, we do, I think, now have a vendor who is helping us with this effort. And uh, I'm part of the Bay Area Human Resources Council. I'm a member of, of that. And this is becoming an issue where, you know, it takes six to eight weeks to set this up. This is not easy to do. You have to consider the state tax. You have to consider the... Uh, unemployment or um, I think workers' compensation, I'm probably missing something here. Uh, and then you have the municipality uh, issues at the local level. So we try to vet these things as much as we can. We came up with a process uh, so that um, if there might be some instances where we cannot accommodate a, a person working in a certain state because of the complexities of it. Uh, so um, I just wanted you to know that this is not an easy um, venture to take on. It's quite in intense. In that similar vein, I, I had a question because um, we had the same problem working in an all-remote organization, and we just chose like four states to work in, like San Francisco, Boston, um, Chicago, um, Portland, and so in this case with the IT, do you have like favored cities like this is because you have the mechanisms and the and HR mechanisms in those places that that is where you hire from? When you well, you, well, you know, you have to register. You have to have an agent register for each of those states. Yeah. And we were having our payroll manager do that for us. Uh, and, it be, and it became um, a little bit cumbersome. So now we have uh, ADP, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Robin, but we have ADP to help us with, with this setup. So that's making life a little bit easier, um, but it still takes some time to set those things up. Uh, and as I stated, if the state is too complex, um, I think Pennsylvania is one of them. Uh, if that person attrits, we probably will not be 
allowing remote work from that particular state because of complexities with that. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. So, you know, what do you think about this dashboard? I like it. Yeah. yeah. I do have a question about uh, the comparison between termination from this data set to previous years. Because we don't have we don't have that. Well, I don't know. Karen, how, how many years yeah, did this so, go back? I can't remember. Uh, this goes back. Uh, we have uh, put in we all the way back to, you know, uh, earlier, like we've been balancing 2019, 2018. So in the left corner, you could, um, the data gets refreshed every day. Um, and you can put in the date. So these are set for January, 2021 to December, 2021. Um, and that's the numbers that come up. But if you set it to 2020, you'd get a different set of numbers. Uh, if you set it for just a quarter, um, or a month, uh, it'll adjust all the figures uh, based on the dates that you put in and also the filters down the left side. You could just pick Highland Hospital. Um, you know, we used to pull turnover information um, and then the very next question be, well, what is it just for Highland or what is it just for nursing? Mm -hmm. So when we launched this, there are multiple tabs along the bottom. Uh, we have total, we have several tabs uh, that show terminations by department, uh, by SBU, um, we have information on the first year turnover, the second year turnover, um, and we also have the same exact screens for nursing. Um, so there's probably about eight tabs. This is just one of the mm -hmm. turnover uh, data. Um, and I did want to add um, that we partnered with the business intelligence team in um, IS. Uh, we have a group that has been assigned to help us with HR dashboards. Um, so while we are uh, sort of the SMEs, the subject matter experts, they're the ones that are helping us build um, these dashboards uh, as a team. Right. The technology is really amazing. I think my question is just about like comparison of the, the data year over year to see, I mean, I know we're in the great resignation right now because of COVID, but you know, to see if the trends are in line with the initiatives that mm -hmm. we're undertaking for hiring and, and retention. Right. And, and and I agree with that. I'm tracking this very carefully. Um, I know that when I went in to check the EDD report and I looked at, I'm looking at turnover and then I'm looking at, well, how are we going to recruit in this market? So for the Alameda County, I believe that report was issued on April 15th uh, by the EDD for our metropolitan area. But for Alameda County, uh, it's hovering at 3.2% which means that as people are leaving, our ability to really source and, and replace uh, staff is gonna be very challenging. And then you what's add on the housing, pardon me? What's 3.2% the unemployment rate? The unemployment rate, yes, 3.2% for Alameda County. That was just issued, uh, I think last week. Go ahead, check that. And the California rate is 4.2%. Uh, the national average is hovering about 3.8%. And then you throw in the housing prices and I'm, I'm very concerned about um, our recruitment strategies. So everything that we can do around retention and recognition strategies is really is becoming more important. Yeah, I hear that. You know, I think with the unemployment rates typically are different amongst communities of color. 
And so if, if recruitment and retention is looking and targeting communities of color, you might find that the unemployment rate is actually higher. Mm -hmm. and could be. Could inform strategy. Yes, and, and I agree with that. Um, also, I found a report that I uh, sent to uh, James Jackson uh, the other night, and it was a report uh, that was commissioned by Alameda City uh, by a consulting group looking at the housing crisis and how it impacts low impact, uh, low income uh, wage earners. Uh, and part of that was, you know, uh, the, the projection of displacement, especially when you have your COVID uh, safety nets removed and then the eviction uh, uh, moratoriums are, are, are removed, what's gonna happen to those people? And then I read in Forbes last night that the, um, in addition to inflation uh, impacting uh, this uh, crisis that we're going through is that people who own houses currently are not gonna put their houses on the market. Why? Because if I'm paying only 3% of a mortgage rate uh, interest rate, why would I buy up and pay a 5% mortgage rate? So that's gonna further exacerbate uh, the market. And then in the renting mar uh, uh, market, we're starting to see where you know, rents are starting to increase. It's happening here where I live in San Jose and also in San Francisco. Uh, so it, it's, it's a lot to be concerned about. And that's why I think our focus should be on retention and recognition of staff to make them feel valued so that they stay. Hallelujah. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> That's a good soapbox. Okay. Thanks. So do you have any further questions about this uh, turnover dashboard? That was great. That's great. Okay. Thank you. Uh, next slide. I will turn it over to Lorna Jones. Thank so you. next, thank you, Lynn. Um, so now we're going to look at some of the things that we're doing throughout the system. So as Lynn gave me that great segue, um, we are really looking at ways to retain staff and um, professional development is one of those tools. And so um, Leadership Academy has been actively working um, with launching different coursework and um, cohorts. And so that is ongoing education. We also have career coaching through our OLA department and also through our third party. We had launched in March um, our growth space, which is executive coaching. Um, and so uh, we have about 50 people that are going through um, that executive coaching platform. Um, we also have a tuition reimbursement policy. We've been talking about this probably since um, January. We um, discussed it in our leadership forum in February. It's been discussed on our CEO chat several times. Um, we received a lot of feedback from staff and from some of the trustees. We've um, took a, taken a lot of that feedback and um, incorporated it into the new policy. For instance, we did not have anything for um, associate's degrees, and now we're going to add um, a reimbursement for associate's degrees and doctorate degrees. Um, we are about to launch our mentor-mentee program. This was a program that was in place several years ago that had fallen by the wayside, and um, James Jackson had asked um, HR to relook at um, relaunching that program, and we are, our goal right now is to relaunch that program in May of this year. 
Um, some of the cultural improvement efforts that we've undertaken have been, um, we had an outside uh, facilitator and presenter who did emotional intelligence workshops throughout the system. Um, we also launched our affinity groups. Um, so the, the black affinity group was uh, had their first meeting last week. Latinx is meeting on Friday. Next slide, please. Um, Lorna, could you tell me a little bit more about the affinity group? How, do, how does the staff person learn about it and how do they um, get, get part, be able to participate? Are they during the day or are they by Zoom? So um, what we did is um, we started probably in October, November by launching um, the toolkit and actually it was developed um, in partnership with um, our, our summer intern actually, helped us come up with the toolkit. She helped design it. It was posted on our HETI site. Um, we talk about it in our CEO chats. Um, I, I've talked about it as I've rounded at different um, facility forums. Um, many of our um, different uh, campuses have um, forums and we've talked about the development of uh, the affinity groups. Um, I've sent out several email blasts. Um, and again, we, we were looking for someone um, within the, um, you know, our rank and file staff to start these groups. And um, for each one, the Latinx group and the Black um, affinity group, um, individuals came forward and said they would be happy to start this or they got a contingency of folks in their department or throughout their, um, you know, their hospital that were interested. And so um, I helped them set up um, the Zoom meetings and um, gave them a statement of work and kind of walked them through how um, most committees are structured with creating a charter um, and you know um, all the different elements they need to do. They're to both groups are in their infancy. Latinx, like I said, has not met yet. Um, the Black Affinity Group met last week. And so we're very excited that we have some participation and I will continue to steward both of those groups through the next steps and help set them up along with, we're gonna help them do um, their email blasts and create messages for them. Do we, um, Lorna, thank you. Are there, is there usually, as you're kind of, you're helping set them up, uh, but will there be like an executor sponsor for each of these groups, somebody <laughs> who will be part of, you know, uh, like some ELP member of that affinity group who might be a sponsor? Um, currently, that is me. I'm a one-man show, so um, I help. <laughs> so I'm the executive sponsor. I've, I've tapped on other people's shoulders to start the LGBTQ plus chapter, the Asian chapter. Um, I'm just looking to get a few um, you know, people involved that are interested, and I'll be happy to shepherd them through the process since I've done it before. Um, so far, you know, we have two groups, and I'm hoping that other people will catch on. I think once they see that um, those groups are producing um, flyers and maybe cultural events, um, there's already been an interest in starting a book club, I think we will get more interest. Thank you for doing this, Lorna. This is so important. Thank you. Next slide, please. So we're doing professional development for individuals too. So next slide. So um, right now the Leadership Academy is underway. Um, these are the dates that are the sessions for 2022. Um, I do wanna mention that I have met um, with Huron and um, they are um, also developing some 
um, courses that will run in, you know, concurrently with our own leadership academy. Um, and so we're going to have a lot of educational opportunities for our staff. Um, some of those classes, facilitative leadership, we have these skill labs and all the different modalities that you see there. Um, and then professional development. Um, there have been a lot of uh, requests by staff to have more staff development. So again, we, um, we have, you know, we're trying to grow a growth mindset. Um, we brought in emotional intelligence um, facilitator. Um, we have some DEI initiatives and um, learning um, opportunities that are going to be coming um, at the beginning of the fiscal year. Next slide, please. So the career coaching is something I'm personally very excited about. Um, I had had requests from individual staff wanting to have access to executive coaching. Um, internally, our OLA department does not have the bandwidth to give everyone that's interested in personal growth, you know, individual development plans and give them coaching opportunities. So we brought in a third party vendor and um, it's called Growth Space. And so um, individuals made themselves, um, you know, showed interest in it. There was an email blast that went out and people um, showed interest within the first day, within 24 hours, all slots were filled. So we were very excited about that. Um, those um, career coaching sessions are really for, they, they can be geared in any form or fashion that the employee is, in, is interested in. If they want to go back to school, they want to change careers, um, maybe they want a lateral, um, the coach will meet them wherever they need, you know, additional um, help and tailor um, a program for them. And sometimes it will include, you know, professional development inside of AHS, you know, through our offerings and the coursework that we give. It could also mean additional education through an outside um, university. Um, uh, phase one is a one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Um, we had 15 participants. We've already got, like I said, in one day, we had all 50 participants for the next phase already self-select and asked to be a part of this program. So we're very excited. It started in March, 2022. Next slide, please. Lorna, this is Taft. A quick question sure. on the last slide. Do you have a rough feel across uh, what level within the organization these is this? Are, are these all executives getting this? Are these managers getting this? Or is this frontline staff getting this? Do we have sort of a rough distribution of who's being uh, given the opportunity to have this uh, this great op this great opportunity? So we have some managers and directors that have self-selected to be involved. Um, we wanted to start with a, a, a small cohort to also survey, um, you know, uh, get and garner feedback on the vendor to make sure that it was worthwhile with the five sessions. Um, and so it, it's mostly, I would say, management staff and exempt individual contributors. There's a few of those as well. So, and of course the tuition reimbursement policy, this is new to AHS. We did not have a policy. So this is very exciting. Um, and again, we, we got tons of feedback um, and we incorporated that feedback into our policy. The launch is uh, the beginning of the fiscal year, July 1. Um, so it covers full-time unrepresented staff or unionized staff that cannot participate in the SCIU UHW educational fund. So this will cover our nursing staff. Um, they have to be here one year and um, 
complete the course, get approval by their manager, and know how and have no formal discipline on the books. How long does it take for formal discipline to disappear from someone's records? It's either one to two years, depending on the contract trustee is seen. Um, and I will tell you that for certain areas, there's for certain contracts, I should say, there is a, a verbal warning and even a performance improvement plan that is not considered formal discipline. Why is the manager approval piece there? I'm sorry? The manager again? approval piece, it feels like an extra barrier. It's actually a standard procedure. I've never seen it not in a tuition reimbursement policy. Um, it again, um, you know, it, it's just one of the modalities we ensure that somebody is in good standing. Um, so I've never seen it be a barrier. I can say that. Right, and we want to make sure that employees are are picking their um, degrees related to the work. We want to make sure of that. So For that healthcare. will help us in terms of our uh, processes. Right. And if it's not related, for instance, I, you know, somebody asked me a question about, well, I work in CPD, I want to be a nurse. Well, that would be related because it's healthcare related. But if you want to go to school um, for film, we probably would not, that would not be related to healthcare. So we wouldn't cover that. And that's also an industry standard. Next slide, please. Oh, hey, Lorna, uh, on payroll upon completion of course, so the expectation is that they continue to work, right, uh, in order to finish up the program. Right. right. We right. They we, sign something. Okay. Yeah, they sign up. They get permission from their manager, and they get reimbursed once they complete the course with a satisfactory grade. Okay. So if you fail or withdraw, you would not get tuition reimbursement, for instance. Okay. So we, again, took taking your feedback and our, um, all, our staff's feedback, we incorporated um, associate's degrees, bachelor's, master's, and we're also going to incorporate, of course, doctorate degrees. Um, we currently have 1,000 for an associate's degree, 3,000 for undergrad, and 5,000 for graduate and postgraduate. Um, you must achieve a passing grade. Is there any limit? Uh, it's per year, per because fiscal year. Is there a limit? Like, is there a limit to how many people can take advantage of the program or anything like, like that? No. And actually, just so you know, there's a lot of data out there that I we had to produce and discuss with our very wise CFO, who I think is on the call today. And so she was also aware of what the national data on people taking advantage of tuition reimbursement from their employer. And it, it has a pretty low utilization, but for those individuals who really wanna go back to school, it's such a great benefit. So um, we, we know that the utilization will be under 10%. So again, the mentor-mentee program that I uh, mentioned earlier, that is going to launch. Um, we originally were going to launch it this month. We're going to delay that till May. We have some staff challenges with our OLA department and some turnover. Um, 
We, there's also um, some rubrics that are being developed um, to also orient not only the mentee, but the mentor to ensure that they, if they're gonna participate in the program, they're gonna be responsive to the mentee and they're gonna meet regularly with the mentee to make it a valuable um, you know, uh, experience for the employee. Um, there's gonna be um, you know, monthly meetings with both parties or quarterly meetings. We haven't really determined to the detail on that. Um, and we also may incorporate, um, if we continue with growth spaces of our executive coaching, um, incorporate growth space as part of this program because they can also help somebody develop an individual development plan or also like some key learnings and takeaways that they should be taking back to their mentor. So currently um, we're selecting senior leaders as mentors. They're gonna have an orientation and there'll be this monthly mentor circle that will be facilitated by HR. Next slide. So again, these are just some of the offerings that we've been um, rolling out to our employees. And we had DB Bedford that came and did emotional intelligence. Um, he's already you know, um, visited many of our sites. Um, we also uh, instituted a, a class on incivility and bullying. Um, that class has been rolled out to all of our, all four of our hospitals as of right now. And as you see the delineation of the departments, these were departments that were that actually requested this training. And so the training was developed specifically with them, them in mind. Um, we plan to continue to offer uh, to additional staff and providers in other departments. Um, next slide, please. Um, so, Lorna, I would appreciate it. I'd like to just know, or if there's any way, I, I mean, I would just like to see one of these classes or um, my, um, what do you call it? Like, Sure, I can get a schedule and, um, you know, send it to you with some times that we offer it. I will tell you the um, bullying and civility class was something that was um, something I developed with um, uh, the Oregon um, Nursing Association. Um, and then it was actually taken by our OLA team and they were um, morphed it and came up with a rubric. Um, and it's a very good class and it really deals with all the different communication issues that you have within a within the hospital system. So I could I could get you a class offering and um, also the schedule. Thank you. That would be helpful. Um, just to point out that's another thing on the intranet that that we can't see that I know that there's trainings and classes and um, education is on the internet. So that's another thing that trustees Unless they're the um, Dr. Chair, can't really. Yeah, we have some BPM work to do. Um, but with regard to that, I, I really appreciate that, and I think that um, you know, especially in in large organizations, large organizations where there's um, a high level of, of um, higher stress, and you know, people having to work together as a team, that these types of, of classes and these types of trainings are really valuable so that people know what know what to look for, people know what to um, expect and what to report, I guess, right? Definitely. Lorna, this is tapped as a, 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 a segue to uh, Trustee Jensen's question. As everyone knows, the trustees are employees of this organization. 
And um, uh, I got another W nine. Yeah, we we we. It's a constant discussion that we have. There are actually executive officers in here. We talk about board development and professional improvement. So much of the work you have done here, is, uh, uh, as Trustee Jensen has noted, are excellent offerings. And I and I, I'd like to have, or we'd like to have discussion with you about how the trustees can take advantage of these in a more kind of aware capacity, knowing what the offerings are. Some, some trustees could theoretically be involved, interested in coaching as a trustee, you know, uh, and uh, many of the, uh, the modules and the workshop groups you offer in finance, I've heard very good things about them. I haven't attended any myself. I think this would be a great opportunity to capitalize on a prime directive this year for our trustees, which is professional and board development. That's a great point. I, I completely agree. And I also, it, it occurs to me that a lot of times, not a lot of times, but occasionally in our board meetings, we will hear from employees about issues, not necessarily bullying, but issues where there's maybe a misunderstanding between management or who who is directing who or feel, a feeling that someone is closer to a manager or, or that a manager is um, not giving the same opportunities to all of their staff so those are things that i i think these types of uh classes that you're that you're that you're suggesting and promoting and supporting are really helpful yeah, this oh. great stuff. thank you so yeah we can definitely get you uh, a list of all our classing uh, classes and offerings and schedules i will tell you um our ola team along with our labor and hr business partners do a lot of custom training as well so a manager or director leader will call and say, I have an issue between these two employees. And some of the trainings that we do are very, very custom um, for the specific issue at hand. And we also do um, facilitated conversation akin to mediation for staff as well. Madam CHRO, are you giving the executive committee the opportunity to engage with you about these discussions about improving ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So again, this is just another recap of our affinity groups, and I'm hoping that um, more people will take advantage and start to launch their own programs. And again, this toolkit is available under our HETI website, um, and we frequently discuss it um, at our different forums in the CEO chat. Next slide. Or is that the end? And I think that's the end. So I have another comment. Sorry, I'm going on. Um, Lorna, no, that was really great. And I, I, I was, I was um, listening in on the desktop chat this afternoon. And a lot of these things that you just, um, your overview has touched on came up from employees during the desktop chat, including mentoring, tuition reimbursement, um, uh, coaching, the availability of coaching, so yeah, and of course, remote work, which comes up, usually comes up during the desktop chat. So uh, obviously you're, you're listening to employees and that's tremendous. That's what um, that's what, what we need to do and what I appreciate. And that's what Bellop shows employees at their value. So thank you very much. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. I appreciate that. And I have to <laughs> hand it to my team because we've also um, started HR forums once a month for, um, management employees to come and ask questions and um, we do presentations. And so we wanna keep the dialogue 
coming and, and have this two-way dialogue to find what our employees need. Um, and we think that this being responsive to their needs is going to keep them retained at AHS. Donna, I, I had a question. Uh, when you launch pilots like this, are there, um, is it first come first serve or do you have a rubric of like who should be, you know, like any kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, equity based framework of like who should be um, participating in this, who should be getting this opportunity, who might be the ones who have the greatest barriers to coaching, mentorship, and things. So is it like, even if it's, the pool is open, is it open like all, or do you kind of create a subset of like who who might like even in the, in the, in the first few go around benefit more? So depending on the course or the activity, like for instance, the, the coaching, like the growth space coaching, we did earmark it for a certain subset, which was um, people that are, you know, um, trying to promote up. And we, we started with the management function. That's not to say that we won't open it up to everyone at some juncture, but we really needed to make sure people were responsive to us so that we could get the feedback to see if it was worthwhile investment. So that's why we really stuck to one subset for the first cohort. And, you know, we had an overwhelming response, uh, like I said, over 50 people in 24 hours. So we do know there's tons of interest, but we don't, we want to make sure that it's a worthwhile endeavor. Um, for the organization. So we're going to, you know, um, take the feedback and discern whether they're the right partner for us, because we do have an out in the contract to, to terminate the contract, um, because there's a ton of vendors in this space in the last five years. So um, usually for most courses that we do um, gear it for an audience, um, but like, for instance, the um, the bullying and incivility class, we do that for whole departments. We don't earmark that. So a lot of our trainings that are labor focused for, for our, our labor consultants and HR business partners, those are done for all staff. Got it, got it. Yeah, I, I was thinking like if there was any way to see like if there is shows and like location, facility diversity and things so that whoever's going through this pilot and giving you feedback is representative of like the, uh, you know, the different place parts of the system and um, you need, you know, well, bring their advantages to it. For the growth space, we have we would probably have all that data, right? Because the individuals came forward and it's very easy to, to cross walk that to their demographic information. So um, we would have that data if we wanted to extrapolate it. So um, I, I could reproduce that if there was interest there. Thank you. Yeah, that kind of data would help us with targeting, right? In terms of who we need to really outreach to within the workforce to come in. And I do like the idea of having board of trustees get training also. We live in very challenging times. Yeah, we would and be if, happy to customize yeah. anything for board yeah. development for anything that you'd like to see. Yeah. But yeah, we live in challenging times and there's a lot of, um, you know, there's just a lot of social issues out there, right? That our staff experience every day. And we have to be sensitive to that and also hold ourselves in check when we do something that's not very good, right? And not being very sensitive. 
So no, I, I think that would be a good idea. But this has been in the works since last year, and I have to hand it to Lorna and her team for pulling this together. Uh, even though she doesn't have a full set yet of uh, team members, but they've done phenomenal work in terms of getting this underway. Um, and early on, because there wasn't that much interest, part of it is reestablishing trust with the workforce, right? There is a lot of mistrust, right? And so they have to check us out to see whether or not the initiatives that we're putting forward is something that people can get behind. So it took a little bit of time, but you know, I'm glad to see that the affinity groups are starting to move. So am I, and I was very happy just as another plug that we had a lot of participation by um, our shop stewards. So that helps. Yeah. I mean, that was the other thing is making sure that the unions were involved, right? And it took a little bit of time to get them to finally say, okay, there's enough, there's enough respect and trust here. Let's, let's check this out and let's help. So thank you, Lorna and everybody on her team. Appreciate it. Okay. And is that? Let me go back to my agenda here. Is there anything else, Lorna? Yes, I am very happy that the next step on our agenda is um, a program that we all are love and near and dear to our hearts is Health Path. And I have, yeah, so I asked them to present and we have Jaliah James and Joseph Peters here to present. And so very excited about this. So Jaliah and Joseph, you want to share your screen? Absolutely. Well, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Joseph Peters. I'm Joyla James and I'm the internship coordinator for the Health Path program. I'm the internship coordinator as well for the Health Path program and the instructor. I've been working at Health Path for about six years. I'm also a member of the associate board uh, for the foundation. Yeah, and this coming um, June, I'll be at, with Health Path for seven years. So thank you so much for allowing us to present today and tell you a little bit about our program. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and get right into it. So uh, the Health Path program is a career development program of AHS that provides internships, volunteer opportunities, and other work-based learning experiences to underrepresented youth and young adults in Alameda County. Uh, and so just to provide you a little history of how we came to be. Um, Health Path was launched in 2015 when AHS received a large $10 million grant from the Atlantic Philanthropies, a private philanthropic foundation, to expose underrepresented youth and young adults to healthcare careers. The Atlantic grant included $3 million to build a simulation center at AHS with the goal of providing a hands-on learning uh, lab for young people in our pipeline programs. If you have not seen the uh, simulation lab, I would really advise you to just go ahead and see it. It's on in, at the Highland Care Pavilion on the second floor, and it's been a fantastic resource for our young people and our staff. So at the same time that Atlantic Philanthropies gave AHS a grant, they also provided an $11 million grant to Oakland Unified School District and Alameda County Healthcare Services Agency with the goal that these three public agencies would partner together to create seamless pathways into healthcare careers for Oakland youth. 
So between 2015 and 2020, we primarily served high school students in Oakland. In the past two years, we have, during COVID, mind you, we've expanded our programs and are partnering with other school districts in the county, most recently San Leandro Unified, and we added programs for college students. Uh, we'll talk more about those uh, in our presentation later. So since its inception, Health Path has been entirely supported by grants and donations that come to us through Alameda Health System Foundation and a contract with the City of Oakland through Oakland Fund for Children and Youth. So I also want to give you an idea of why we do the work that we do. And Health Path programs serve two important goals for AHS, um, to improve health outcomes for Alameda County low-income youth of color by addressing the lack of educational and career opportunities, which perpetuate economic disparities and lead to deepening health disparities. And then also to cultivate a pipeline of culturally competent healthcare workers for AHS who come from the communities we serve and reflect our diverse patient population. That is our goal and objective. So a little bit more into what we do, what our program is all about. Uh, I'd say the bread and butter of our program uh, is the Health Path internships. Uh, we provide over 300 internships across our hospitals each year. We also offer lighter touch career exposure experiences such as uh, workshop and professional panels to an additional 200 students a year. Um, our programs expose young people to an array of healthcare jobs and help uh, map out an education and career plan so that they can achieve their professional goals. Um, oftentimes, our young people come into the internship and their only exposure to healthcare is through something like Gray's Anatomy, right? Because they don't have family members who are doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals. And so by the time they leave the program, most of them want to become doctors or nurses, but they leave learning about respiratory therapists, uh, physical therapists, and they often change their perspective about what careers they want to pursue because now they know the breadth of healthcare careers available to them. So some other thing about our programs, and, and you know, this graphic is to let you know that we are in a continuum of programs with uh, the HEAL program kind of at the front. Uh, Health Path is an umbrella for eight different career development programs. Some of them we run ourselves, like our flagship, the Health Excellence and Leadership Program, uh, pictured at the front, uh, which we'll talk more about. And several programs uh, for college students and our AHS volunteer program. Some of the programs that we do not run that are run by nonprofit and youth development organizations uh, that use AHS facilities as internships, internship sites for their health career exploration programs like Faces for the Future and mentoring uh, in medicine and science, which you also see pictured in this continuum. And also, I want to point out that the continuum exists from middle school uh, throughout high school and college, and our objective is to move on to employment as well. Yeah, so to speak a little bit about the students that we're serving. So in looking at HEAL specifically, from 2015 to currently, we have served 1,375 students from Alameda County. Um, in the beginning in 2015, when the program launched, we were serving about 70 or 80 students a year and have since grown to serving 
about 300, 400 students a year. So it's been a growth in such a short time. So in who we serve, our students are primarily female with 68% of our students, female and 31% male. Um, and we'll talk a little bit later about some initiatives that we have in place to really change that. But this is reflective of healthcare. If you're looking at healthcare careers outside of not including physicians, um, the healthcare field is uh, predominantly women. And so this is something that we've seen and experienced in our programming. Um, and in addition to this, our programs, we run year-round programs. And so students, we see students during the in-school portion of their day where they're here with us and getting school credit. We see students after school and we have various summer programmings both for high school students, um, middle school students and college students as well. And then when we look at who we're serving, 98% of our students that we serve are students of color, are Black and Indigenous people of color, with only 2% of our student population being white. And um, although we don't have a graphic here, if you look at this and compare it to the population that AHS serves, the patient population, we're actually pretty close in regards to the ratio breakdown, very similar to the AHS population served. And so as a result of doing the HEAL program, we have our research shows, um, we have worked with an independent evaluator who came in and looked at our data and looked at our students that we've served from 2015 to current. And approximately 78% of our students are low income and eligible for the National School Lunch Program. That data was provided to us by the Oakland Unified School District. Um, so we have that as well as we collect self-reported data from students. And 21% of our students indicated they would be the first in their family to graduate from high school, 27% to attend college and 29 to graduate from college. We do believe because this is self-reported, we believe that these numbers are likely um, higher in reality. Um, and again, the goal of this program is to diversify healthcare. And so we want to make sure that we're exposing them to all of these other avenues so that they have many options. Um, because maybe four year universities aren't for students, maybe they want to go to a certificate program. And so we really exposing them to all of these opportunities. And then when we look at how the students feel after their experience, 93% of students plan to pursue a career in healthcare. 84% of our students have a clear idea of what their career path is. And they also know how to achieve this. Something that lacks a little bit on the school end is preparing students and providing them information on how to achieve that goal. And so our students, complete the program knowing what career they want to do, but also what steps it takes um, to achieve that particular career, how many years of schooling, what programs they should do. Um, and then also 92% of our students are more motivated to pursue an education seriously, and 81% plan to work in low-income communities similar to those served by AHS. So there's really no better way for you to meet our students then for you to or, or to learn about our program than to hear it from one of our students and this was a video that we were able to produce of uh jason revis who participated in our heal program 
uh, for the Navigators cohort. And, you know, I'll allow him to tell you uh, about his experience and what it meant to him. My name is Jason Christopher Rivas. I'm currently 19 years old. I live in Oakland. I went to Oakland Technical High School. I did a year long program of health path. I always wanted to help people. I didn't really like know at the start of high school what I wanted to do. The field program is just that program for any Oakland student. They just want to find the next person that believes they could do better, if they're really interested in the health field. It's an internship that will just expose you to like the health field, new health jobs. Just if you want to be a doctor, you can see what day in the life of a doctor is like. Nursing, medical system, OBGYN. I was born in Oakland, California. My neighborhood isn't the best. I couldn't even really play basketball with my friends on the neighborhood block without hearing gunshots. It was just scary sometimes too. Gangs and violence. Growing up was just like, oh, he's getting taller, he's getting bigger. Oh, he might get jumped into a gang. It wasn't what my mom or my dad wanted. They wanted me to go to school. Both my parents were immigrants. My dad grew up in Mexico, Guadalajara, Mexico came here when he was 13 years old, didn't go to school. He just went straight to work. My mom was born in El Salvador. She fled her country because of wars and just gang violence. My mom and my aunt ended up leaving. Once they got to the country, they established themselves, became citizens, brought my grandma legally here. Me and my grandma have a good relationship. Since I was born, she's always taken care of me. She still takes care of me, too. I know my dad really wanted me to graduate high school, and that's all he really wanted because he never even got the chance to go into high school. The day I graduated high school was kind of emotional for me because I finally saw him tear up. But my accomplishment isn't really like going to college. It's finishing college with a degree and going into the health field. Health Path has helped choose my career. It has shaped how I am, what my career is going to be. I want to be a nurse. And for me, it's not really about the money. It's about what I can learn, what I can help, and what I can do for my family. Sorry about that. My name is. So you know, you know, I think that's just a, a powerful explanation of uh, the impact that you know we are able to have on our students, and you know that's just one of a million stories. I think I think Jason is representative of our student population. I think that's why we chose him for this video because he reflects who we serve um, mostly, um, and so I'm happy we're able to see that, so you know exactly what our program is all about. Yeah, and finally, to speak a little bit about our program expansion. So over the last six or so years, um, we have done what we do really well. We have been able to serve these students. And over the years, we have seen that there are some kind of holes that we want to plug and some programs that we want to de develop to better serve the community. And as the, our data showed, we had a lower percentage of males, um, young men of color, and that's something that's 
indicative, well, across the Oakland Unified School District, young men are just not participating in internships in general. And so we wanted to do something to affect that. Um, so we developed the Young Men of Color Internship Program, and we have a program for both middle school and high school boys to really increase their awareness and encourage them to come back to us if this is something that they want to explore and help support them as they are interested in pursuing a career um, in health. We also launched a summer college, summer intensive college internship. Um, and that was about two or three years ago. We launched that and it was really successful, our gateway to health careers um, college internship. But through that internship, we also realized that we weren't really seeing community college students or the community college students weren't performing the best in, in interviews. And so we wanted to support that population of students to help them become um, to help them get into internships like ours and other internships, help to make them more competitive applicants. And so then we launched the OnRamp to Health Careers Community College Internship, where we partner with Chabot College, um, uh, Peralta Merit and Merritt College and the Peralta um, Colleges to really support students at that level and help them gain that experience that's really pivotal in helping them to gain access to um, more um, intensive internships. In addition, we are launching this summer a CNA Highway to Work Certificate Program. It was recently funded with a $150,000 grant from Walter and the Walter and Elise Haas Fund. Um, and this program is in partnership with OUSD and the College of Alameda. And it will provide OUSD graduates with a CNA certificate. AHS will provide uh, the clinical experience. And essentially, the goal is that the students are successful students, um, complete the CNA program, and hopefully obtain employment through AHS. And finally, um, we are, this is our third year. We applied for funding for um, to offer work experience to students or youth who are at risk and out of school. Um, through our HEAL internship, we found that there are some students who aren't able to participate in the program because they have to work. They're helping to support their families. And an internship, the funds that they make, the income that they make from an internship isn't enough. And so we found that students were dropping off. And so we really wanted to think about how do we serve that population of students? Uh, because this is a really great opportunity. And so we receive funding um, for this program and this program would be like a mini apprenticeship in which participants gain work experience in departments such as EVS, materials management, food services with the goal of hiring them upon completion and the, using these as entry points as jobs that they can do while they pursue a career in healthcare if that's a direction they want to go in. And so again, we saw that there were other ways that we can provide support to communities that um, were kind of dropping off and not completing the HEAL internship and other health path programs. And we really wanted to be a support and kind of that safety net like AHS is for the community. We wanted to be that safety net for these students who are often left out. And so these are the ways in which we have um, expanded our programming to serve the community. And if I can just add, you know, um, we are a small, group. There's three of us. Uh, our executive director, unfortunately, couldn't be here today, but we were able to run all of these programs kind of concurrently and, um, you know, 
just a pat on our back one time. <laughs> um, but I also wanted to just mention that all of these programs are to build a ladder to support young people into uh, coming into AHS. We want to see these young people return to AHS and become employees at this hospital. And we're already starting to see a return on our efforts. Uh, we have a student who participated in our high school program who is a dental assistant. We have one who's a medical assistant here at Highland Hospital where, where our classroom is located. So, you know, we're seeing the fruits of our labor and it's exciting. Yeah, and then one last point. We do wanna say that we could not run any of our programming without the support of the wonderful volunteers here at AHS. Staff have wonderfully volunteered their time coming in on days that they're supposed to be off to volunteer an hour, two hours, four hours, sometimes with us for a full day. Um, helping teaching students for various skill sessions or teaching them about a particular topic. And we've had the great and wonderful support of people like Lorna and other staff members here who really want to see the program expand and shine. And so we really appreciate all of the support and all of the help we've gained in expand, helping to expand the program. And that's all. Thank you for giving us this time to present. Really appreciate the report. I'm very impressed. And when Lorna and I were talking about this, I was really excited because of where we're, um, where you all are recruiting from. So, how many, uh, uh, how many students do we have right now at AHS? So, right now we're serving about, I want to say about one hundred and twenty students at this time, and that's between our Highland and San Leandro Hospital. And you have enough volunteer staff to help with you guys? No, so at this time, other than the, the clinicians and the other uh, AHS staff that help support in regards to the curriculum they're delivering or, or skills or workshops they're doing, our team is uh, just the three of us at this time. So no volunteer uh, staff to help with the day-to-day -day yet. All right, trustees, I know most of you are busy, but you know, if you have time to help mentor uh, these young folks, we should definitely do it. All right, and then I see, Kath, is that you? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Um, uh, this is sort of a comment to the trustees. As, as you know, trustees, we're coming to uh, the, the final baking of our strategic plan. And when we know that one of our pillars is community, uh, I really can think of nothing more representative of what of, of what AHS is trying to do than these kind of efforts. Um, I'm a super big fan of the Health Path program. I've, I've had those students in and out of our GI endoscopy units since it began in 2015, mainly during the summer because they come after. And I'm also a big fan because my son has gone through this program, and it was oh, wow. uh, it was it was uh, pretty transformative for him as well. So. Uh, I guess my question uh, to Joseph and Joyla are, if, if someone were to ask you what you need, what would you say? That's a great question. You know, I, one of the things that comes to mind for me is just um, continued support from, for the system. I think some, one of our main challenges is communicating our objectives, our goals, and the fact that this youth program exists here on Highlands campus and some of our other campuses. For some people, it's still a little bit shocking that, you know, uh, we have students here. And 
Uh, you know, for me, it would be amazing if there was a culture shift at Highland that really helped to support us in uh, the development of our young people. Right now, things are very much, uh, you know, we are fortunate enough and we are so thankful that we're able to send our students to departments. However, if if uh, staff were incentivized to volunteer their time to participate in some of our workshops, our simulation labs, to come be uh, um, professional clinicians in our simulation labs, if they were incentivized in, for some type of volunteer basis um, to support programming, then I think it would help build upon the culture of AHS and what we are trying to do here in serving all um, uh, all people, including our young people who need to learn more about health careers. Yeah, um, and I think another one, and this is uh, a tale as old as time with a program like ours, funding. Um, I Funding is a big part because we do want to make sure that we are paying students a good stipend because we do recognize that we're competing with their job at McDonald's or In-N-Out or wherever. And so the continued support, uh, we provide our students clothing stipends because a lot of times they come in not having the proper dress to participate in the internship. Uh, they come in hungry, so snacks. And so uh, getting funding, whether it's 50, a $50 gift card or whatever it is, helps us with the day-to-day -day, um, because we do recognize that there is a need. Um, and so what we can do is provide these services for these students and we try to ensure that we're providing some of the services to help them to be here every day whether that's also for transportation and so those are things the the things outside of their participation some of the things that help support and keep them in programs like these um funding seems like an obvious but uh that's something that we're always um, in need of support and helping direct us to where yep. grant we could get grant funding, things of that nature. Thank you. Oh, Lorna, what is the reporting structure for help all these programs run by? I can't believe it's three people. I didn't know that. That's amazing. You guys deserve more than one pack on pat on your back. You deserve about a thousand. Is the reporting structure up through HR? Is that why we're hearing it in HR committee? And is, is there a line item under HR budget? So currently they are still working through that $10 million grant and uh, the foundation is actively seeking new funding opportunities for Health Path. Um, so we're, we're, it's not at a critical mass yet. I think we have over a year of funding. Um, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but from everything I hear, and yes, Health Path does run up under HR, Jessica reports to me, um, but this program is you know, near and dear to everyone's heart here at, um, within HR and within the whole system. So we, there's a commitment, I believe, um, not only with the foundation, but with our ELT to continue these programs. Um, I, I think that was a good point that about incentivizing staff to participate because there's a lot going on. People work hard here and there's, you know, when, when, when you're finished with your work, then it seems a little burdensome probably sometimes to say, oh, now I'm gonna mentor someone or I'm gonna have an intern or I'm gonna you know, add to my workload. So I, I think that's really a good idea to look at ways to um, explore ways to incentivize our staff, AHS staff who are in the programs in the areas where we need to, where we want to um, have the, the health path students participate. 
Definitely. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I just was going to say, I'll take that feedback back to Jessica. Thank you. And one of the things I wanted to, to add to that is I'm really excited. Thank you guys so much for the presentation. I, I knew a couple of things you were working on in terms of initiatives, the youth initiatives, but I didn't know all of them. Um, and healthcare services agency, we have we did receive a grant as well in 2015. And Dr. Dr. Uh, Jocelyn Garrick actually headed up the initiative for that, working with our HR uh, team. And so our HR team is called Alameda County Healthcare Pipeline Partnership. And that's because we partner with you know other organizations, especially AHS, to try to place our our um, youth in for the internship programs. One of the things I wanted to share with you, and, and Lorna, maybe we can do this offline. Um, one of the things I wanted to share is that it is difficult to get preceptors or trainers to take on our youth and to take our youth under their wing. Maybe they're tired. They don't know how to deal with our young people. You know, they may just, you know, kind of be a little fearful of taking on someone and training and mentoring them. So what we did is we developed a curriculum where we train our preceptors on how to handle our youth. And then our HR team actually is responsible for checking in weekly with those mentors to make sure that everything is okay, that you know the youth are learning, that they're receiving information you know, properly. So we do have a curriculum that I'd be happy to share with all of us for the preceptors. It's, it, it really has helped a lot and we've gotten a lot more trainers because of that. So thank you guys for what you're doing. That's amazing to have only three people. Thank you for that. And I just wanted to mention, um, so we actually have a curriculum for training staff and we've already begun the process of training some of our staff members on how to best work with our students. Uh, I most recently worked with um, uh, the respiratory department um, and did a facilitated training for them at one of their uh, departmental meetings. Um, but I would love to partner with you and see what you have and 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 just make ours a little bit better. <laughs> Share resources. Share resources, absolutely. Yeah, no problem. We have a workforce uh, development manager that I can connect you with, and that, that would be really exciting to do. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Ola and Joseph. I, I too have, I was part of the board when the... $10 million came from Atlantic Philanthropies. I just joined, so I, and periodically we've got an update, but I did not know how mighty uh, this small team is and that the expansion that's happened. And I'm so glad that you're focusing on um, stipends and you know how to kind of um, support uh, the training with some you know tangible. Uh, supports for for the students who are able to come and do that so that they do uh, and uh, this is just such an example again of the kind of partnership with HS and HICSA and public health and the foundation doing that um, again one of those bright spots um, and so needed and looking at the dashboard uh, the our the participants here reflect the diversity of, of our patient population, like mirror that so much better than our workforce right now. So you're really building in the right direction um, over there. And I think as uh, trustees, we could be better ambassadors for this program. And then also uh -huh. the kind of synergy because 
like Jackie just said, there are things that are happening over there, resources or some things may be overlapping and even in terms of, I did not know that the, you have funding for a year, so only and that, you know, there will be, there, there will need to be sizable funding that needs to come in to keep this vital program running. But thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I want to say thank you as well. And I'll add to, to our doctor chair because my son also participated in the, the program. And I remember one day he came home and he was so excited to talk about a moment in radiology when he got to see someone, it was a swallow study, and he described the food going down. And, you know, he was fascinated and excited. And it was, it was enlivening to see him have that kind of reaction to a day in the in the hospital. And, uh, you know, I think the, the work you do exposing young people to this, you know, he's like, basically, I'm a doctor now, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good feeling. You know, it's such a good feeling for our young people to know that it's possible and that it's, it's, it's tangible. So thank you all for the work you do. Yes. So Taff and Jennifer, your kids ought to do a video. Let's do it. <laughs> It'd be great to do a video, you know, because they can, then you can show that our trustees are actually encouraging their kids to go through this. So anyway, it's it's an awesome program, and I wish there was, I wish we could clone you you three, right? So <laughs> I can do more at all, but. I'm I'm impressed what three people can do, and then we'll, on our side we'll do what we can to encourage our staff. You know, to even if it's just two hours, right, uh, where a student can observe what they're doing and be able to ask questions like, "Ooh, what happened there?" What you know, it'd be worth it. It'd be worth it. And then anything, any you know, feedback that you have for us that we can do better, we'd appreciate that as well, right? Because your success will be our success. Okay. Madam Chair, one of the trustee banner, she said that this deserves better visibility, and I, I, I agree with her. I, I, I this think, is what? Uh, you know, one thing that we do control is we do control agendas. So I think this is this would be a great opportunity to put this at a larger venue for the full mm -hmm. board to give a better exposure. So um, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll work with the other trustees on and uh, on our calendar. Let's have Health Path come back again at a bigger venue for bigger scope, and then let's attach Preston Walton so we have a place to give money to. Right, and even to Trustee um, Shaman's point, maybe even someday when we start meeting again with the or with the the Board of Supervisors, you know, this is something that we can partner with. Yeah. We can partner with. Right. Yeah. And they're welcome to, you know, it might be boring for them, but they're welcome to come to our Board of Trustees meetings <laughs> just to observe, you know, just to see the behind the scene work that has to go into running a, a health system. Right. And it, we'd love to see your participants. Yeah, it'd be Absolutely. great to have students come and, you know, introduce themselves, it'd be great. Thank you have. for that invite. I'll make sure to have some at, at, at an upcoming meeting there. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll try to be entertaining. 
<laughs> so they're not totally bored. But anyway, at least they'll see that side of it. Okay, thank you so much. Any other Thanks. questions? Okay, moving on. Okay, so next is the mental health, uh, mental health update with our wellness manager, Sophia. Hey, thanks for having me. I'll go ahead and share my screen. Okay, good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Sophia Newton. Um, I'm the wellness manager for staff uh, at AHS, and it's nice to see some of you again. Um, today, I'll provide an overview from a gap analysis that I drafted that examines our mental health programming and support at Alameda Health System for our clinicians and staff. So to start, uh, let's figure out what the problem is. Sophia, so, um, if, you can yes. expand, if, if you can expand that window, it's, uh, oh. it, Oops. Was it, it was cut off about a third or two thirds. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm so sorry about that. Let me see if it works now. Can you see it now? Yeah, that's, that's better. Do you see the whole window? Yes, it's a little shrunk. If, if, I oh. think if, you hit the, if you hit the green, yeah. And maybe that'll expand. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Can you still see it? Perfect. Okay, great. Thank you. Appreciate you mentioning that. So what's the problem? I think we inherently all know what the problem is, but let's break it down. So the COVID pandemic has exacerbated already existing burnout, depression, anxiety, PTSD, and suicide. And also burnout impacts the provider's decision to stay or to reduce hours, which was shown in the article that you're gonna be examining next. So current state nationwide. So 400 physicians die of suicide each year. Physicians and nurses die by suicide at two times the rate of the general population. Burnout has been shown to cause an increase of 200% in medical errors. Excuse me. Oops, pardon me. And um, the majority of healthcare workers are feeling burned out. So why is it this way? What's going on? Unfortunately, the healthcare industry, and I think industry in general in the United States, hasn't prioritized mental health and burnout is prevalent. And burnout is not just prevalent, it's also extremely expensive. It increases turnover, turnover um, negatively impacts culture of the organization, and it increases medical errors, not to mention all the mental health consequences for our staff. So basically everybody loses in this situation. But before we discuss ways to improve healthcare provider mental health, let's see what's actually going on at AHS. Okay. So this is our current state and this is a quick review. Um, first, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about what we have that supports our folks' mental health. And then I'll tell you what my recommendations are. So let's start at EAP. I think we're all familiar with what that is. Uh, we have uh, our organization, we have five therapy visits that are covered, which is more than it used to be. Uh, there's a toll-free hotline, man or woman, <laughs> 24 hours a day. And um, 
they also can provide critical incident debriefs on an as needed basis, but that would involve the employee actually calling the EAP and then them following up with the employee. So it's not an internal uh, cert. Okay, the other part that uh, EAP really provides that's fantastic is our wellness webinars. So I actually host two webinars a month that are on various topics, um, including like resilience, mindfulness, communication, you know, dealing with difficult situations. Uh, they're very popular webinars. I think last time we had almost a hundred people uh, join our webinar and they just keep going up in number. Um, and I've actually had requests from staff who say uh, participated in the conflict resolution webinar and they're an hour long who asked me if we could bring that type of training in a, into actually into their workplace and have some kind of interactive model. So that's something uh, I'll explore with the EAP. So next we have the fitness classes. Um, those Sophie, are provided. I don't think uh, apologies, I don't think you're, I'm not sure your slides are advancing. Are you? Which slide are, are you on the current state nationwide slide? Yeah, I am. Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, Sorry, I, I, try, I try not to put a lot of words on my slides. So I'm, I'm kind of talking through each one of these. So we went over EAP, wellness webinars. We have fitness classes that are provided by the Healthy Me program that I run. We also have mindfulness classes. And then we have a number of mental health supportive systems in medical benefits. So that would be if you belong to a PPO or Kaiser, um, the the issue with this is that not everybody, like I actually don't get my insurance at AHS. And so I wouldn't be eligible um, for the free Calm app or the health coaching that Kaiser can provide. So, and, and last, after medical benefits, we're gonna talk about short center round, which is, um, I hope perhaps some of you have been able to attend. We are going on around six months now and there are supportive forums that are interdisciplinary uh, for staff to come together to share their experiences um, and talk about the things that are inherently different, uh, difficult in healthcare. Okay. Oops, excuse me. All right, now we'll go to the next slide. <laughs> if I can make it go. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me, everybody. Okay. So let's move on to how we would come up with a solution. So after reviewing what has been done in other organizations such as ours, um, I've come up with some recommendations based on current literature and best practices. Um, in particular, there was a literature review that went over 30 different workplace wellness programs for healthcare providers. So a lot of what I'm going to recommend is based on um, their findings. So as you know, well-being is multifactorial, right? It's not just, are you doing okay at home? Are you doing okay at work? It, it's, it's bigger than just the individual person's resilience. Um, and so we can touch on each of these by implementing like a well-rounded intervention. But any program that we introduce has to proactively reach out and meet our healthcare workers where we are, where they are, not where we think they should be. So it's not a one-size-fits-all situation. And we need to create programming that casts a wide net. I was gonna say next, but I'm the one doing the slides. Okay, so, 
starting, this is a dense slide and I apologize. Um, it's hard to break everything down. So um, let's start on the top left-hand side with emotional and social support. So the evidence shows that peer-to-peer -peer support programs um, such as Beta Heart, um, Care for the Caregiver, uh, ones that include emotional first aid training um, and incorporating Code Lavender's critical incidence teams um, can really, really, really uh, decrease the amount of distress that folks are having. Um, in, in fact, if we did do a peer-to-peer -peer support program, they would actually probably be integrated into that uh, critical incident report team. Um, and number four on this list is recharge spaces. And, and so what that means is it could even be a room. This is actually what a lot of hospitals have done. They create a room that has like a nice spa ambiance and they let people reserve it for 15 minutes at a time. Um, and they can go and lock the door and have, maybe they wanna do meditation or read or just take a nap but uh, it, they're very popular. Um, and so that's something we should definitely also think about. So moving down, and please stop me if you have a question, uh, moving down access. So of course, if people don't know about it and if they can't find it, then they're not gonna use it. And, and I know that's a really simple thing, but you know, someone scrolling through a website for 10 minutes might be the barrier to them getting the assistance they need. Uh, so that's something definitely to think about. Um, along, I think, I think in the literature shows that a long-term goal would be for the organization might be a one-stop shop for benefits and wellness, something that can track how people are doing, push out initiatives, um, as well as the place where they can go and see, you know, how many vacation days they still have. But in the interim, um, in the absence of a one-stop shop type of platform or, or website, um, I would recommend two different platforms. One being um, Headspace Health, uh, which is actually Headspace and Ginger combined. Ginger is an on-demand mental health uh, support that provide live meditations, health coaching, therapy. Um, and then Headspace, as you, some of you might be familiar with, um, have a very um, expansive library of different thing, meditations and things you can do to take care of yourself. Um, so that would be a great platform. The second platform I would recommend is our well-being is well-being index. And it is developed by the Mayo Clinic. And what it does is very interesting. It both assesses well-being based on who you are. So if you're a doctor, a nurse, um, you have, there's different surveys for who the people are. Um, and then what's great about it is it doesn't just assess in like a five, you know, a five question, really quick survey in the morning on someone's app. It then uh, sends them to place to different tabs in the, in the interface that show them the resources that would be most tailored to the, what their needs are. So if someone's showing high depression, it sends them to this area. And what's great about that is we can actually uh, tailor those pages. So we can put our own information, our own EAP, in addition to all the other, you know, toll-free lines and information that they provide. And then, you know, the value of using these platforms, either one or both of them, 
is that first we'd be able to collect real time data. So it's hard to know what to do if we don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, and when we can figure that out, when we can see the data as was shown you know, in the HR dashboard, which is beautiful by the way, and we can say, okay, this site is having high levels of distress or you know, they're needing some type of extra intervention. And then we can focus our activities to that site or clinic or subset of our you know, uh, population, like the nurses or the physicians or something like that. So, um, and then the Code Lavender system, uh, a lot of these overlap, obviously, but Code Lavender is just a way, it's a code essentially that you call when you're having an incredible amount of distress and you're in a crisis. So it, for example, um, you know, someone sees something in the OR and they just, they can't, you know, they need help. They can call Code Lavender and a team or one or two people will meet with them or schedule time to meet in private. And so that's also where those research spaces come in because that's a safe, comfortable space that's neutral that they can have those you know, difficult discussions in. Okay, uh, are there any questions so far? How do you call a code lavender, Sophia, this tab? Uh, you know, I actually don't know. I haven't actually worked in an organization that had one. I think okay. they might do it through email or either the code system. Um, okay. It kind of depends on the hospital and what and how they use it. But it could also be a team that responds to patients and families that are in distress. So it's not one or the other. I think organizations tailor it. Good question. Sophia, so question. Um, with I, uh, these recommendations are terrific. And I wanted to know, like, is there ways in which you uh, connect also with things like our cultural safety scores, our patient, our staff engagement scores, or those pulse surveys too, because like you're building um, a lot of the professional fulfillment or personal resiliency depends on the organizational culture, whether we have a culture of care, whether what kind of leadership support we feel and sense as well. So. Um, some of this is uh, intervention in terms of like when people are feeling and then um, on a prevention spectrum as well, like the entire spectrum of like, uh, you know, fostering a, 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 a culture that promotes wellness. Um, are there other data points that also feed into um, what are some other data points that feed into your recommendations and your learning uh, of your program? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm having a really hard time hearing you. Actually, there's just like a lot of background noise on your end. I think what you asked me was, are what is the data that shows that these things are going to work? Is that essentially what you asked? No, no. I, I think I was what I was trying to ask was, and made it very long-winded was that what are some data sources we that also inform? Uh, is it like the our engagement surveys go into this to create that culture of wellness as well? So that there's an intervention aspect of this, of, you know, when people are in crisis and things, and what could be some wellness things, but also like creating a culture of care. Uh, you know, what, what What factors lead to personal resilience? What factors oh, lead to professional fulfillment? What 
factors lead to like you know there are others so are there other data that inform the wellness uh, you know your programming mm -hmm. Okay, I think I think I understand. I, um, I'm sorry, it's so hard to hear you. Um, maybe uh, could I just? I, th I think what you're asking is how do you create a culture of wellness using some of these programs? Um, is that kind of close to your question? You know what? Let's take this offline. I, I have. I'm sorry. No, no, no problem. No problem. I even have my headphones turned off. I have I have my headphones turned all the way up. I promise. And you, if you want. You can put it in the chat, and then I'll and I'll I'll answer it at the end. Um, all of the things I'm talking about are what create a culture of wellness, and it's it's not a simple process, and it's not a quick process. Um, and I'm glad you asked that question because moving down to the last one, which is stewardship um, and leadership, those are the things that we really can make the difference at an organization from what I've read and also experienced. Yes. Um, so the things we're doing right now, and by we, I mean, our executive leadership team, like, for example, the transparency is really important. I'm so, when I started working here, I was so impressed that we had a CEO chat. I, I worked for the city and county of San Francisco for a long time. I never saw that. I talked to my colleagues at different hospitals. My sister works at Kaiser. My friends work at all the clinicians I know said, no, we have no idea what's going on. They gave me a webinar to help me be resilient. And that's it. So what they're doing is showing people that they care, being transparent about what's really going on. So then there's a trust relationship that's built on over time. And then participating in these activities and walking the walk and talking the talk, right? So the walks, those are a great example of a leader um, walking the talking the walk. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, the, all these things in and with the leaders, none of those would be possible if we don't have good stewardship and leadership and make it sustainable and put the necessary um funds or training into these recommendations. Okay, so I'm gonna move. Oh, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure. I mean, I could talk to you about this all day. <laughs> I've read a lot of research. Um, okay, so what outcomes are we looking for? So we're looking for, for me as a public health person, I want data. I wanna know how people are actually doing right now, not from a year ago, but right now. Um, and the surveys that uh, the one vendor created, I, I mean, I had a, a tour and I saw them and they're very simple. They're only five questions. And um, I think it would give us a really good temperature to see what's going on. So we'd have decreased burnout, uh, decreased voluntary attrition, <laughs> uh, <laughs> decreased medical errors, um, and increased quality of patient care. So all of those have been borne out in the data, in the literature. Keep in mind, it's more difficult <laughs> to measure this over a long term, right? These changes take time. Okay, next. So as my last slide, I just really want to focus on what's actually happening and that they're, we're not okay. And even though people seem like they're okay, 
they're not. And I think that we really need to do something if we're gonna maintain a healthy and robust workforce. If we want them to provide great patient care, we have to take care of them first. And one of the literature reviews I read, it was like, care for me, you know, teach me, help me. Um, and, and there was all these, these, these list of things that the people really needed. And at the end of the day, they wanna know we've got their back, we're doing everything we can. Um, and I think that's what creates a positive wellness culture at an organization. And I think we have the foundation to do that. Um, so these are just recommendations that were based on this um, analysis that I did. And I think we can do something. And I really appreciate your consideration and your time. So what questions do you have? I think sometimes these programs are always so wonderful. And I think uh, sometimes I wonder about the opting in part and how people have to find ways to opt in. You know, I was curious about, I love wellness programs. And I also know that sometimes they're offered on one campus, eight to five, Monday through Friday. And so it's hard for folks to opt in if they don't work at the main site or if they work on night shift and swing shift. And, you know, how do you account for that? And how do you reach out to people so it's not always waiting for folks to, to opt in? Yeah, that's the trick, really, um, with health education and, and interventions. That's always the hardest part. And I completely understand your question. I think it depends. And that's why I say that we have to cast a wide net. So one thing, like I might not like a mindfulness class, but I might use our gym membership and go do karate or kickboxing, right? So I think first you have to have a variety of things in different modalities. Some are online, some can be in person, you know, and some can be on an app. And let's face it, I mean, people my age and younger, they do not go on their computers. They use their phones as their main source of, of communication and even work. Sometimes if they're, if they're a clinician and they're running around the hospital, they're not going to get down to a desktop to open up my website. So having access and ease of use, in addition to the marketing campaign, that would be highly supported by those two organizations. So in addition to that, the organization that was primarily about um, the survey, the data and seeing how people are doing and giving them resources, they can give us de-aggregated data and show us like how people are actually doing and what they're actually participating in. And so we can, you know, there's lots of ways to measure it um, and to increase um, uptake of the program. Is it possible to see that data in a future presentation so we can know what utilization rates are? Oh, well, see, I, they're not our vendor. So I don't, it would be possible to see the data if I had it. Is it possible to see the data? <laughs> they're, they're, oh, I'm sorry. We don't, these programs are not in existence yet at AHS. These are my recommendations. Oh, I didn't get that far. I wish, I would yeah. love to show you that data. Wait, what? This is aspirational. I thought you were giving a report of what's happening. Nope. <laughs> Hopefully it will. 
Well, so wait, it says in the, the slide that says current state, fitness mm -hmm. classes, wellness mm -hmm. webinars, helping me program, mm -hmm. employee assistance program. So how do we figure out how that's being utilized? Hold on, let me get to that slide. Uh, well, the employee assistance program is being, I got a utilization report a while back, but we have a new vendor. I, that's not under my department, that's under benefits. So I'm sure they can get you that data. As far as the healthy me classes go, they're not very well utilized. And they're the ones that are online at specific times. And so I think that's what also makes it difficult is we can't do in person, but then we have these specific times online, but people are used to having flexibility now. You know, they want a 24 hour, you know, there's something called gym pass that is also a vendor that will provide you a pass. You can go to actual gyms and you can go virtually and you can get coaching on your computer. So yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do this. So we aren't offering that. We are not offering that. Yeah, okay. I'm saying, I think this is what we should offer if we want to improve those metrics, if we want to decrease <laughs> burnout, you know, <laughs> decrease medical errors. And keep in mind, a large part of that is that peer-to-peer -peer support program. We do not have that program here. That is like a gold standard of well-being, of physician and nurse well-being at hospitals, you know, globally. Schwartz rounds is also a gold standard. And we have that, we got that. So, you know, we have a few more, holes to fill, but I think we can get there. I think I'm gonna ask the question that Dr. Chair usually asks, what do you need so that we can get there? I'll think about it and let you know. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think we need continued support. I really appreciate the culture of wellness and well-being that I've seen already in our executive leadership team and the directors and managers. Everyone seems really invested. And I think that's the first step is realizing that it's a problem. And then this is one solution that if as an organization we decide to move forward with, will improve you know, those outcomes and turnover, honestly. Hi, Sophia, this is uh, Louisa. Uh, in terms of the employee assistance program, can we get data? Sure. I, I'll answer that, Louisa, okay. because so, that's not Sophia's department, but those do oh, report okay. to me. So I do have that data and I can present that or send that. There's a lot of background noise. It's yeah, hard to hear. Can somebody go on mute? Um, so I can provide that data or do a presentation. I have data that goes um, as recently as um, March, 2022 of all the utilization for EAP, including all of the specialized training that's requested. When there is an EAP or an incident that happens at the hospital and we, we ask our EAP provider to have boots on the ground to do um, grief counseling or anything of that nature, I have all that data that I can provide to you. Okay, and what about the Swartz Center rounds? Because oh, I haven't yeah. done one yet, but is there a way to... Well, there's not a lot of data. So okay. there's participation data and there's satisfaction data. Okay. And then are there topics that you all can share? Yeah, I'm happy to tell you more about it. Okay. Yeah. We so just it's had one this Monday, right? Was it on the 12th that our own CEO, James Jackson, was mm -hmm. one of the panelists on it? Uh, there were two, three other phenomenal 
speakers who spoke about like you know what it is that resonates. So I think that I I would I I hope those again it's middle of the day it's at noon and so um, I hope they're recorded so that people who can't attend live can also go and listen to it sometimes at in a group meeting or other ways and so that you you are utilizing that those stories and those. Uh, um, those learnings in, if, in different venues. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, short around has so many benefits. I, um, I could do a whole presentation on short arounds, which I'm happy to do in the future if you'd like me to, as well as provide you with like utilization data. Um, essentially, it's popular. So we have around 100 plus or minus 25 uh, every month. And our reviews, which are we leave open answer, you know, reviews, are always overwhelmingly positive. So, I think the the magic of short surrounds is the feeling of connection that all of us have been missing over these last two years. And I think it's hard to put like a dollar sign or a percentage on that, but what a lot of these programs involve. Is, connected, is connection and is feeling connected mm -hmm. to their work, feeling connected to their colleagues, feeling connected and compassionate to their patients. And so peer-to-peer -peer support, you know, a good healthy wellness program with, you know, uh, classes about eating and fitness in addition, you know, are, I think are what make up um, a really robust well-being initiative. Any other questions for Sophia? Sophia, this is open to all providers, right? It's open to anybody who has an AHS email. So, so anyone that you get, um, I usually send it out in a calendar invite because that's actually, the, unfortunately, the best way to get people to attend is if they see it on their calendar and they can accept or decline. Um, and we, we've had overwhelming support. In fact, my colleague, Sue, who is a chaplain at San Leandro, said that someone stopped her the other day, and a leader, um, and told her that they cry at least once in every short rounds, and how impactful it was for them, and how much they just loved that time. And I think it's really powerful because you get a place you can just be yourself, and you don't have to diagnose somebody or do something, you can just say, I'm having a hard time, that's okay. And mm -hmm. that is what helps people be resilient. You can go through hard things, but if you're alone, it's a lot harder to be resilient. I'll get off my soapbox now. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, my thing is that it takes a team, right? To provide patient care, and if we can't take care of our staff, then yeah. we don't have a team. Right. Right. And I, I think we need to think 10 years in the future. I mean, yeah. look at what's happening. Everyone's quitting. People like me want to work for an organization that cares about me. You know? Right. And that's how we're going to get people to come. And that's how we're going to get people to stay. Because I want to stay, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one aspect of it. Were there any more questions or comments? Or Uh, I think uh, I think the board of trustees will get a report on this and we'll 
give some serious thoughts in terms of your recommendations. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you. We appreciate you. (laughs) So uh, I want to be mindful of the time check because what is it? We are almost 15 minutes past the half hour. We have one more item and it's the HR charter. So I'm going to do a quiz now. Just, just kidding. <laughs> but has, uh, have people had a chance to read the HR charter? Uh, TAF is president. Doctor is uh, asking for feedback as we go into our strategic planning um, to see if we should make some recommendations to changes to the HR charter. My question is about uh, the first line. Yeah. Uh, not, not, not the number, actually, the second line, meeting. Meeting quarterly. I know we had talked previously about changing the rhythm of the meeting. Is that still something that's up for discussion? That's a design. Yeah. Um, yes, ma'am. Yeah, there is nothing in this charter that prevents us from meeting more frequently. Because I was the one that brought it up, especially when there was a lot of HR issues uh, that were popping, that um, would it be possible to meet more frequently? And that's still on, that's still available for us. So setting it at quarterly, at least that's the minimum standard. That's the minimum. And and then this committee gets to decide if they want to up the minimum. And again, remember, this is not an action item. It's right. just uh, for discussion. We're hoping by early next fiscal year, we'll have a revised set of uh, uh, charters, where, as everyone knows, that we're adapting our, our pillars. So uh, I have a question to um, our CHRO. Um, Lorna, one of our proposed pillars is, uh, I believe it's entitled Staff and Patient Experience. Is that named pillar too restrictive, or is it, you know, do you park culture under that? Do you park, you know, operations under that? Uh, you don't have to answer that now, but I wonder about, you know, just that, do we, do we broaden out that term? Do we just call it people? You know, we had previously discussed people and culture as, as one. I, I, I think the concept is good right there that Huron has given us, but these are things for you to contemplate because trustees, we're going to a vote on May 11th for, for, for our pillar names. And, uh, we can live by the spirit of it. It may not necessarily have to be the exact name, but I'm just, you know, names mean mean things. So I, I ask people to think about that. And then that would relate to the uh, the committee charter. Do we compel ourselves to look at cultural things, yep. well-being things, which I think are are somewhat addressed in the in the current charter? Mm-hmm. Because so just so I understand. Yeah. So. Taft, just so that I understand in terms of what what you would like to see change and the HR um, charter is to actually put the pillars there, no, are you I'm, just talking overall? No, I'm okay. just talking overall and it's up for this okay. committee to decide if they want anything to change in the context of where we're moving. Uh, and I, you know, I'll always voice my opinion. The, the charter looks pretty clean right now. It, I mean, it, it, I think it hits most of most of everything, and this is where, where we can wordsmith and just say we updated it or not. And I'll leave that up to 
the four of you to, to make a recommendation to the full board ultimately, maybe July, maybe September. Yeah, mm -hmm. one question I had was that it says up to four members and right now we are five. So are we like, is there a gap? Is there a, uh, like a quorum issue that a subcommittee can be a majority of the board? I, I don't know if there, yeah. there needs to be. That's what it's an interesting advantage. You need, um, five is a quorum of the entire board. Generally, we don't want to have that. But uh, because this committee doesn't take any action items, almost all of these things are discussion and then they're forwarded to the board for full consideration. We don't uh, um, adhere to it as tightly as we need. You know, but that's up to you know conversations with the chair of the board. We've had this conversation. And that's something that we consider is because this committee does not take action, it's mostly discussion. Yeah, I am. We've kept it up. I'm, we've been a little bit lax. I'm saying that this is a pretty darn popular committee uh, for discussion. That I, I enjoy this committee. It's one of my favorite committees. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, thinking about our people. Um, so. Uh, I, the, the purpose of making this an agenda item was just for the for the trustees on the committee to contemplate and we can give another stop point as you guys think about it um, again this is a good uh, committee charter it's a one pager <laughs> you know a couple of the other ones I think are like two or three pagers so um, that that's all sort of my request of the chair why I asked to put on to make consideration and no action needs to be no action can be done on this Right. And, and if you'd like, you could send us a send to me individually and run up any changes that you may have, and we can bring it back to the next meeting for yeah. review. And you can have it as an action item to recommend to the full board. Yeah. And we can CC chair. And, and then CC chair. Yes. Yeah. Chair. Uh, yeah. Uh, we prefer to just individual contacts with with Lana. But uh, I think two does not get you into a forum, so that's, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I would love it if we didn't violate the charter. <laughs> if yeah. we would? Yeah. <laughs> I, maybe we'll have to discuss that further. Okay. Yeah, there were. Uh, putting it on the agenda. Thank you. Okay. And then um, I had a couple of uh, recommendations. I'd have to clean up the language some. I did talk it over with uh, Lorna just to get her um, feedback on this. So under the employee engagement uh, staff education opportunities, which we're doing now, but it's not explicit in our charter, right? It's kind of a, it's, you know, kind of general, but I wanted to add that on there. And then also um, that the subject matter for the staff education trainings would be to improve patient care, improve the operation of their departments, uh, team building skills, because we definitely need that, and then also leadership skills. Uh, and then the last part to that is to encourage employees to recommend other educational topics to the HR committee so that we can take a look at that. And then uh, the last point that I wanted to make because we're in unprecedented times, right? We have the, you know, uh, <clears throat> all of the anti-racism that's going on in the country, the anti-black racism, 
more recent one that's ongoing, right? The anti-Asian hate, uh, anti-LGBTQ, anti-Semitism, all of that. It's behoove, it really matters in order for us to be able to respond because of what's going on in broader society and that our employees, our you know, staff experience those that we as a board of trustee, as a leadership body, also need to be aware of those topics and be able to respond, including our staff, that they have to be able to respond appropriately when this stuff pops up. And we've had some incidents already that uh, we've had to address. I don't know how well we've addressed it, but you know we have to address them. Um, so, and I, Lorna knows which what incidents I'm talking about, and James knows, and also Mark. But there are incidents out there that we just have to, you know, be mindful and also offer those uh, training opportunities or educational opportunities, so that we, as the board and employees, uh, have a better understanding of what's going on outside of the hospital that impacts them. Right. Makes us better people, makes us better employers, helps build the team, right? So anyway, those are the two items there. I have a few words that they can do, so I'll put them in fact changes and signs. That'd be great. Excellent. All right. So that's all I got. Is there anything else? Yeah. Are we good? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for taking the time. I want to thank folks who uh, did the presentation. And we will see each other again. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night.